Welcome to Teach Simple Podcast, where we focus on providing simple solutions in the classroom. Teach Simple, a podcast that believes simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. We're dropping gems, family. My brother Calvin Nellum is keeping it simple for the culture. Education, politics, science, physics, he's talking about it all. Just keep it simple for our brother, man. Teach Simple Podcast. Enjoy, family. Groups. Did you look across all those groups to make sure you included everyone? And I'm pleased to say that when it comes to the vaccine, we can trace the involvement of black people all the way to the design of the vaccine, including Dr. Kizmikia Corbett, who is one of the people that owns multiple patents when it comes to the mRNA vaccine candidates. So we can go to that. When we go to the FDA approval and review committee, we can actually find the president of Meharry Medical College. He's a virologist and a physician as well. And he's sitting on the FDA board and reviewing the data. And so it's really important for us to highlight that we have been involved at every level when it comes to the actual studies. For example, looking at the Pfizer vaccine candidate, they had representative groups, 10 to 13% of black people, excuse me, included in their studies across six different countries. In the United States, there were 13% Hispanic. If you look outside of the U.S., in terms of the involvement in the Pfizer candidate, 24% of them were people of Hispanic heritage. And so <clears throat> it's definitely, in terms of design, actually impressive to look at these studies because, let me tell you, the truth is right now we're using blood pressure medicines, which we need. We're using cholesterol medicines. Many of these were actually studied not in black people, not in black indigenous or people of color, but we desperately need them because of all the other socioeconomic things that led to those lifestyle health conditions. Mm -hmm. This vaccine candidate has actually been studied better than we've done research in the past. There are lots of lessons to be learned from that that we're going to use going forward too. Beautiful, beautiful. I have Dr. Cindy Duke with us. Uh, she's from Trinidad and Tobago. She is representing. Uh, she is a physician scientist who is board certified and uh, you can pronounce, you can let me know if I'm saying this wrong. Is it obstetrics? Obstetrics and Gynecology. She's also a fellow. I'm also a fellow in teaching. So I know that you are really serious about your job. You've been doing it forever. Um, she's trained in the reproductive endocrinology and infertility. So that's amazing. And that's a very, very uh, uh, field that I'm very passionate about, you know, just, you know, that as it relates to black women. Uh, uh, I could read your resume. She, uh, she went to Rochester <laughs> University. Uh, 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 she, oh, John Hopkins as well in Baltimore. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and I just, just, ha just so happy to have you on the podcast again. Like I told you, I've been doing the vaccine vlogs. I got my vaccine uh, about two weeks ago. Um, and Congratulations. Uh, and I have my second dose coming up. My wife also got uh, hers. Um, and I, I believe in science. You know, I believe in numbers. I believe in facts. Um, but I also understand my people. And it's just a lot of just cognitive dissonance. Um, and it's just Correct. getting us where we need to go. Um, I interviewed, uh, I don't know if you know, Dr. Linnell Campbell, but she's also. Yes. Yeah. So she's also from Trinidad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and she just was saying, you know, we want to change this narrative. You know, we want to get ahead of this. And we can't do none of the stuff that we want to do, reparations, and if we don't take care of COVID. 
Exactly. And let's be honest, right? COVID is ravaging black and brown communities on a level that if we don't stop it now, we're going to take another century to reverse. And I'm really excited, yes, about all the things coming down the pike from this new administration. As someone who volunteered with the inaugural committee, I know there's a lot coming that is going to start making a difference. But the first thing we have to do is we have to stop the hemorrhaging, right? I'm going to take a medical uh, example here but we need to stop the hemorrhaging and right now our communities are hemorrhaging we're dying at disproportionate amounts but here's the thing right if we just stop thinking about death and think about disability people in our community the long-term effects of a covid infection includes disability and so we're going to have an unprecedented number of people who are unable to re-enter the workforce, which means families are going to suffer, people aren't going to be able to afford homes, they're not going to be able to afford food, they're not going to be able to afford sending their kids to school. We already know that the pandemic has hurt us when it comes to education in large parts because we did switch to a virtual schooling system, which was necessary to stem the infections. But at the same time, we never address the underlying issue, which is we have communities that don't have access to technology, don't have access to Wi-Fi. We have families where maybe they only have one device in the house. If you have multiple children, how are they all going to school in different grades if you're going virtually? And so that's one. We have an issue when it comes to health. So we don't have enough access to health facilities in our neighborhoods. We don't have enough access access to health insurance in our neighborhoods. And so there are so many people who are not seeing a doctor regularly, who are relying on going to the emergency room whenever they have a health issue. And then all of a sudden now, everybody's afraid to go to the emergency room, or we've actually been saying don't come because the numbers are high, we're surging, we're too much. So we said, do telehealth, which I'm a big proponent of telehealth as someone who started a telehealth clinic in Trinidad and Tobago so that I can still serve my community while I'm here. But here's the truth. Again, much like virtual schooling, we said go to telehealth without checking to see whether people had access to telehealth. And so, you know, there are so many implicit biases that really came to become explicit biases when we said it's time to just pivot to work with a pandemic. You know, we have language that's dehumanized us. So we're essential workers, essentially telling us for one of being repetitive, you're essential. It doesn't matter whether your family's at risk. It doesn't matter whether you're going to get sick when you go to work. Meanwhile, your bosses are sitting at home and talking silliness about whether masks are real unnecessary politicizing it when your life is on the line you know let's talk about what's happened in detroit when it came to you know the uh, metro transit workers the same thing happened in new york city we have a lot of communities which have been hurt we have a lot of healing to do because we've been traumatized repeatedly and if we don't take the vaccines that we know to be safe if we don't have the conversation so that those who aren't sure that they're safe can get the answers we're not going to stem the tide now lastly i want to say i do recognize that not everybody's going to take the vaccine i get it i get it and you know what we understand that as virologists and a vaccine immunologist, that was actually a big part of our training is just understanding that you don't force things down people's throats. That's not how you get people to come to the table. So we're not here to tell you you're a bad person or something for not wanting a vaccine. We understand the hesitancy and we understand for those who say, I'm absolutely not going to get it. What I'm here to do is make sure everyone makes an informed decision based on facts 
and truth as opposed to falsehoods, conspiracies. And many of these falsehoods and conspiracies, when you trace them back, they're actually being churned out of facilities that are not even in the United States. They're not by people who actually care about communities of color. It's just meant to sow seeds of chaos. Mm. Wow. Wow. And a huge theme that popped up was equity, right? Yes. Yes. So much through a equality lens. Like we gave all these kids laptops, but we didn't consider that one laptop wasn't going to solve every kid's problem, you know? No. No. About equity. And then I think of equity, I think of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about, you know, black people, we've been fiending for empathy, right? Just for some yes, for so long. In our shoes, right? For someone mm-hmm. to understand what it's like to see someone that looks like us get killed by a cop on TV. I tell you. I tell you. You know, it's I keep going back to that weekend with George Floyd because it was also the weekend of the Central Park craziness right with the lady who they happened the same weekend and i remember looking at that and juxtaposing it to watching what was happening in the ozarks and those parts of the country where people were just like carefree no masks just enjoying their memorial day weekend and i said this is the reality of living in a country where the lenses are so different that people don't believe because you watch someone hold their knee on someone's neck for over eight minutes while that person expressed pure fear, agony, and you watch life leave that person. And right now, that's partly what we're also watching with COVID. COVID has its knee on communities of color's necks, right? It has its knees on our necks. And if we're not careful, yeah, some of us are going to survive it. Many of us have ability to survive it, but it doesn't mean that we're not dying disproportionately from something that we can prevent. It doesn't mean that our kids aren't being failed when it comes to education, but we also can't ignore the teachers by saying, well, you just go back to school and teach without worrying about your family. But we definitely need to come together and start looking at this as a community not as an individual you know and i think that was the thing about the george floyd situation was for the first time many americans saw something and they were like did i just watch a human being get killed you know for the first time i heard friends colleagues who were not black saying that was a murder when we have been saying for decades, centuries, these are murders, right? Instead, we call them lynchings instead of calling them murders. We've for so long used different words to describe things so that it didn't sound like what it really was, which is you're watching murders happen in real time. You're watching people defend murders by saying, I feared for my life, even though the person was unarmed. I feared for my life, even though the person was running feet away from me, their back turned to me. I feared for my life and I took theirs. And so it's the first time that we're asking ourselves deeply, what does that mean? But it's sad though, because although when the work is being done, so some people that work only has to be done when they feel like it. Whereas for communities of color, the work needs to be done every day, all day. No matter what, by any means necessary. And you're you're gonna pray, you know, you're gonna pray as much as you can. Rightfully so. You're going to be very stupid. You're going to have a mm-hmm. lot of resilience. You're going to pump yourself up. You're going to say, yeah, yes. wear my mask and I'm going to go to work. But that's still mm-hmm. not going to keep you from getting COVID. Exactly. And listen, 
I'm someone who grew up in the Caribbean, which means I was raised with bush tea. I was raised with eating the herbs of the land. I was raised with, you know, I wasn't even born in a hospital. So I get it, people. I get it. I was born, my family took my mom out of the hospital because she was 42 weeks pregnant and there are all sorts of things going on. So they took her to a local midwife who delivered me. I was born at 10 pounds, 11 ounces. That's a massive baby massive baby no wonder my mom is a diabetic today because clearly a baby that size something was going on in the uterus right but here's the thing you know i wear my mask i wash my hands i'm a virologist in fact from january of last year i started telling people wear a mask wear a mask because of what we know about respiratory viruses but yeah i use my turmeric i use my vitamin c i make my bush tea i get my vitamin d i take my vitamins but the first opportunity once i reviewed the data and i saw the safety data of the vaccines the first opportunity that i got i got my vaccine man i was like i need this vaccine i got my pfizer vaccine in december i got my second shot on january 11th i'm now going on four weeks out from my second vaccine i feel great i was excited to feel my immune system working i was so excited to say you know i understand what's happening right now i get the science here and I felt thrilled, and I'm sure you agree. We both felt pretty relieved when we got that vaccine shot. I just thought about my mom. I was like, man, I yes. don't this, you know? You know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. It's a privilege now. It's a privilege. You know, and like my mom hasn't gotten hers yet. I have not seen my mother, and I was raised by a single mother. I was her only child for eight years before my brother was born. I haven't seen my mom since May of 2020. That's actually a long time because we're a very close-knit family. And I mean, I see her via video, but it's not the same. It's not the same as showing up and eating all the food she cooks. It's just not the same. And so I understand people's hesitancy, but I also challenge everyone, you know, as we wait for that, don't let your guard down. If you haven't gotten your vaccines and you love your family members, don't let your guard down. Even if you feel young, healthy, and strong, which I would argue does not mean you can't get COVID. And we've had so many young, strong, healthy people either succumb to it altogether or now they're struggling with disability, struggling with memory loss, struggling with blood clots, struggling to breathe, struggling to walk up and down stairs um, months out, nine months out, 10 months out, struggling to regain that sense of taste. And let me tell you guys, you know, for us, we like food, right? We like to flavor foods. It sucks to not be able to taste what you're eating. The whole experience of eating involves sense of taste and smell. And, and so that's why the it, it, getting a vaccine is much worth it than not catching COVID, right? Like, cause you're it like is. It is. Listen, and let's go down the list, right? So there's a big study that came out on January 21st looking at the impact, for example, of COVID on pregnant women. Mm -hmm. And what was startling is seeing while the death rates aren't super high, it's about 0.1 to 0.2%. What was striking was the number of women who had heart attacks if they had COVID in their 
third, second trimester. So what we saw from COVID and pregnancy is increased rates of miscarriage, increased rates of preterm delivery, preterm birth, which means the earlier the baby is born, the more complaints and concerns the kid can have, including staying in the hospital for a long time. But the women themselves had greater rates of heart attacks, myocardial infarctions, which is striking. And even more striking, it tended to happen mostly in black and Hispanic women, which if we consider all the other maternal mortality and morbidity risks in those two groups in this country, which is not only explained by institutional racism, we need to take that seriously. If we don't look at the pregnant population, let's just look in our general population, right? So I hear a lot of people saying, well, it's only in people 70 and older. No, when it comes to black and brown people, we're seeing rates of death and rates of severe illness needing rehabilitation after leaving hospital hospital, etc. We are seeing higher rates in people 40 and older who are black or brown. We're seeing higher um, times for rehabilitation such that you cannot go back to work. So again, going back to the whole income issue, which therefore impacts everything in your life, income issues are paramount um and people are now months out and they still haven't gone back to work many of them have had amputations so functionality is going to be different for them going forward i, I could keep going down the list but this is tremendously horrible and it's as if we went to war we went to war guys and we now have a lot of people who are disabled we lost almost five hundred thousand people Yes. You know, let's talk about that loss because I've heard a lot of people who, again, I think the empathy, we're kind of all out of empathy in the four years preceding the pandemic really wore us out, right? And we just felt beaten down. Our self-esteem has been broken. I don't just mean self-esteem as Americans, our self-esteem as people of color. We have had a serious daily barrage without even knowing it because it was so subtle at times, which is, oh, so-and-so tweeted this, so-and-so said that. We had people feeling more emboldened to just spout hate. And so a protective mechanism is to just stop feeling, right? If you stop feeling, you don't have to care about what people are telling you. And I think that's part of what also happened as we entered the pandemic. And so as a result, let's put this into context. Remember H1N1 from 2009 and we were all really worked up over H1N1? H1N1 killed 287,000 people total around the whole world. And do we remember how worked up we were over H1N1? Yeah. Yet... Right now, we have 500,000, almost 500,000 dead in the United States alone. And we're still telling people the flu is worse than COVID. We have over 2 million people dead across the world. That's almost 10 times the number of people who died from H1N1, the dreaded H1N1. And we still have people telling communities of color it's not as bad as the flu. We need to be scared of that. If you look at HIV, and we all know how HIV has also ravaged black and brown communities, yet HIV from the year 1981 to 2008, so if you think of it in the context of almost 40 years of HIV, we lost about 700,000 people across three decades from HIV. 
in the United States. Yet we all know how much HIV, we're doing work to prevent it, to talk to people about preventing its spread. And yet in one year, one year, not even a year, really the- Six months, seven months. Seven months, right? We've lost half a million people. We're going on half a million in one country alone, right? If you look at our healthcare professionals, in New York City, between 25 to 40% of the healthcare professionals who died in New York City were people of color, people of color. Um, single parent households, meaning single moms, single dads died leaving their kids without someone to care for them. That is just unheard of. And we've all been traumatized. We're also gonna need therapy. Let's not even start talking about the mental health toll of what's happened in the four years before the pandemic and then the year of the pandemic that's still going and the beatdown we've had. And what that does to our health, what that does to our emotions, our ability to function, our ability to work, our ability to love. And I know people are going to say, well, we're resilient. We are, we, we as a collective ancestrally, we survived slavery but boy boy just think about that trauma mother nature though man mother nature is going to fix itself no matter what you know mm -hmm. That's the mm -hmm. that we have to give it you know like it's you true it's raining it's gonna it's gonna get you wet you, you it is you exactly it's pretty it's gonna freeze your hand in about a matter of five <laughs> seconds exactly and, and that exactly. you know science literacy science literacy True. I, I felt like if, if we if if everybody had a great scientific method lesson, I feel like this entire pandemic would have probably been a little bit more better. I don't know. That's just mm -hmm. my opinion as a teacher. No, 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 I agree with you. And I think that's <laughs> another thing that we see happening, right? Is so unfortunately when we look back and I realize, oh my gosh, I don't even think most people remember what a RNA is, far more how RNA works, um, what it's going to do in the body, and why the RNA vaccines, for example, are such an elegant design in terms of thought. And so kudos to Dr. Kizzy and co for really working on that and putting that together and making it reality. Yeah, um, I don't think people realize just how different that is and also how transparent this process has actually been compared to things that we we were using 50 60 70 years ago just so much more transparency and we also have the ability now to directly interrogate the people who did these things because we know who they are you know 50 60 years ago the scientists were unnamed except to the people who they were directly connected to you know Another example is here we are amazingly able to engage in debates and conversation about this vaccine in the United States. What most people don't know is vaccines were rolling out in China and Russia five months before our vaccines became available. We haven't heard any conversations about it because there was no opportunity for conversations there. They said, we have a vaccine, we think it works, and they started giving it out to their people, right? And you had to show up and get it. They started with their military, etc. Here, we also have choice. We are actually able to say, I don't want it. I want it. I don't want it. I'm getting it. I've changed my mind. That is the amazing thing about the ideals that we have here that I want to celebrate, but also want to let people know as a result of that, we actually have so much more information. On top of that, the current vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, the United States is not the only country. 
right? If you look at what Israel has done, most of Israel has been vaccinated That's by this idea. point. They're doing amazing things there with their Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Belgium, amazing things with their Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. And so it's worldwide in terms of the rollout. But if you start looking at who's getting it, it's the wealthy countries. And if we look here in the United States, we're also starting to see that inequity playing out, which is we're hearing now that in communities of color, because there is vaccine hesitancy, there are people who are white people from other neighbors, neighborhoods showing up in these neighborhoods to get vaccines because they're like, well, if they don't want it, we want it. And I think our communities need to start asking, huh, What's going on here? And if we're not careful, we're about to enter another form of medical apartheid where despite access being available, or rather the resource being available, we're being limited access, except maybe we're partly now limiting our own access. And so we need to keep that in mind, but we also need to fight for all those other countries that we call south of the economic border right those countries who want the vaccine but can't afford it right now we also need to ask what's happening and we need to hold our decision makers accountable to say are you making sure the communities in the united states who need the vaccine are getting enough vaccine and that includes our indigenous communities who were just oh my gosh you look at what happened in the navajo nation when it comes to covid just oh amazingly horrible i don't know anything about it tell me yeah Oh, no. In Navajo country, they also have up to six times higher death rates from COVID. Yes. Oh, we had a pandemic within a pandemic. When you look at indigenous communities and what happened, we actually had a lot of organizations such as Partners in Health who traditionally work outside of the U.S. having to come in and mobilize to go to the indigenous communities to help with COVID because they were so hard hit. When we hear that Arizona had, was having horrible surges in their COVID numbers, the numbers were especially high in their Hispanic neighborhoods and in their indigenous communities in the state, for example. And so we do need to talk about that. When we heard about what happened in Oklahoma, and I know the news sort of focused in on the rally, which even Herman Cain attended in Oklahoma. But, you know... The offshoot from all of that spread in Oklahoma was also what happened in the Native American communities in Oklahoma. And so we need to talk about these things, right? While we spent the summer arguing over hydroxychloroquine and arguing over injecting bleach, people were dying, but we weren't hearing about it because the news was so focused, unfortunately, on the silliness over hydroxychloroquine, the silliness over injecting bleach. And that was what was also striking to watch from a health virologist scientific standpoint is saying, guys, the country, we need to talk more about what's really happening. Don't keep getting distracted with what I consider an intentional misinformation campaign. Like Malcolm X said, you know, when America gets the cold, black people get the flu. You know. We got the flu. Black people got the flu. Native American, indigenous communities got the flu. And now we need to say, hey, we have a flu. How do we fix it? I have two small questions. The last question is just really what you want people to get from the podcast. But this is one that I really would love your uh, expertise. So, you know, mutations happen naturally, right? Um, and mm-hmm. you know that the vaccines, they had to kind of be prepped to be able to handle certain mutations. But we know due to mitigation, depending on the densities, depending on, you know, because mutations are very, I don't say ambiguous, but 
you can have a yeah, they could be good they could be right. bad mutations can weaken something but they could also make it super virulent or super pathogenic so so i've done some research that you know that there's you know, Pfizer and Moderna, they're recommending adding an extra dose because they say that even that first dose, that can give you good immunity, but the yes. second one and the third one is definitely going to give you that extra protection. So, Kate, could you maybe just educate us a little bit, not on, like, the mutation, but just, like, the, the efficacy of the vaccines and what, what's, the, mm -hmm. what's the news on that? Yeah. So, specifically, when we talk about the mRNA vaccines, but really any vaccine against a virus, you try to implement what's called a prime and then a boost approach. So, priming has to do with your immune system. So, our immune system, if you don't know, when your immune system sees something for the first time, it first has to educate itself about this new thing that it's encountering. And so, that's called the priming, meaning your surveillance cells which just look for anything that shouldn't be in your body say hey something new's here and it doesn't belong and then it recruits its specialists right it is yeah. it's like when your kids or anybody sees someone in the neighborhood and they're like there's some mom dad there's somebody at the door well that's what the initial part of your immune system does your innate immune system says hey there's something going on. This cell doesn't look right. And why do I say this cell? That's because that's how viruses work. If a virus is new to your body, your immune system hasn't recognized it. So it actually enters cells and it starts making more of itself. That's the whole purpose. A virus is like someone entering your house and starts cooking and breeding and making more of itself. That's a virus, right? And so as it's making more of itself, your cell starts changing the painting on the outside of the house. It's like the walls of the house start changing and your immune system surveillance says, hey, this cell looks different. You're, you're looking a little different. What's up with you, right? And so it says, hey guys, come see this. And it calls in the specialists. And the specialists are your B cells and your T cells. And they're like, oh yeah, this ain't right. And so they start educating themselves and expanding because they're like, okay, we got to fight this. These cells are starting to look weird. In the meantime, the virus is quickly making more of itself. And as it makes more of itself, mutations happen. If you think of doing anything in life and trying to speed it up, the faster you try to do it, the more errors you make. And so that's what mutations are. More errors come as it's making more of itself in the one person. That DNA so, is different, right? Exactly. As it's making more of its RNA, the RNA coding, the letters can get replaced. You can swap out one letter for another, which means it changes the protein makeup of the virus because that's what RNA codes for. It codes for what becomes proteins and those proteins then go back together to form new viruses that can infect more cells so when those special cells come in it takes them about eight to 14 days to finish educating themselves and be ready for the fight covid of course as we all know that's exactly what happens right you get infected you actually feel bad then you feel better Mm. And somewhere around nine to 10 days is when your immune system kicks in and it starts spewing out tons of what we call cytokines and chemokines, which are the chemicals that your T cells use to kill all the bad cells, except the virus has spread to so many parts of your body that that cytokine storm that comes from your now educated immune system trying to take care of it makes you sicker. And so that's why if you look at COVID, it's actually very much matching what we would expect in terms of viral infection and then your immune system having to learn how to do it. Well, vaccines are the same way. So when you get your first vaccine, 
your first vaccine, it comes in, mRNA gets into the cell, and it immediately starts making proteins just like the virus would have made, except you're not actually sick. It's not the virus, fortunately. Okay. And so those cells are like, oh, that shouldn't be there, and they start expanding, and they're prepared. Except because the mRNA goes away quickly, by 9, 10 days, the mRNA is gone, and all that's left is immune cells that now know what that thing looked like. They've been educated, right? They've been educated. They've gotten all the way to middle school. They're educated, <laughs> right? They know when what to look when strangers are around, what they look like. They now get it. So the boost is now when you're going to take them to high school and start prepping them for real fights. So the second vaccine now, when you take it, your immune cells, they don't have to wait nine to 10 days to get educated, right? Within a couple of days, they're going to be like, whoa, 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 it's back. It's back, guys. It's back. And they're going to be like, let's expand. And so more expand and they can quickly clear. And so that's why. When you get the second vaccine, for most people, you're actually going to have more symptoms. And I don't call them side effects because yeah, it's not bad it. stuff. It's just expected symptoms, which is if your immune system is ramping up, you're going to feel a spike in your temperature. So many people will get a fever. You're going to feel more soreness because that's how immune cells get to a place is your lymphatic system has to bring them. So you're going to feel some swelling and some soreness. Mm -hmm. Yes, because your lymphatic system is rushing to bring those specialists to take care of this thing that's come back right? You're going to feel oh. maybe some bone pain because guess where immune cells are made in your body? They're made in your bone marrow. So you're going to feel, yeah. So you're going to feel some uh -huh. bone pain because your immune system is making more. Because here's the thing, our immune cells are made in our bone marrow, mm -hmm. but when the embryo is forming, they're educated initially not to attack themselves in the thymus, which mm -hmm. is the special immune education center that happens in our body while we're in the uterus, but they form in our bone marrow. So yes, yes, yes. That's why you're going to feel some bone pain. You're going to have temperature spikes. You're going to feel shivers and chills because your body's like, let's go, let's go. It's back. So that's the second one. Now let's say mutations keep happening. And actually we call those variants. There are over 4,000 different variants of COVID virus in terms of SARS-CoV-2 around the world, but some of them are, most of them are actually just weaker. The right. ones that are actually the ones that can cause disease, we know that we, like the U.S. has had three before these new variants we're hearing about that are in the news. And so sometimes we're going to have to update the mRNA code if it turns out the variants are so, so much better that we need to boost the immune system different. So what's nice about the mRNA vaccines, remember those old your VHS or your cassette yep. players, you can literally switch out the cassette and code now for an update yeah. and put it back in and give wow. someone a booster so that you take the new cells that were already primed, but you also educate others to say, okay, I want a repertoire. Now you're diversifying wow. your team that's going to fight the virus. Shout out to Dr. Kizzy, man, for the cool bio. I'm telling you, shout out to Dr. Amazing. Kizzy. And we need to give her her flowers every that, day, all on. day. Yes. 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 Thank, you, <laughs> cool. Thank you so much, Dr. Cindy. This has been amazing. I hope you really enjoyed the podcast. Me too. Me too. You've really, really been giving us a lot of gems, and your passion is evident. And I never forget, like, just how you were speaking in that clubhouse. You just was like, Getting the vaccine is a lot better. You know, like your confidence when you speak, your assertiveness, right? Sometimes, you know, we can be...
excuse me, people can be intimidated by a doctor's jargon and yes. their overall mm-hmm. position. But I love how you simplified it. You you definitely did the theme of T simple. You kept it super simple and it was relatable and I felt it, you know, and that's what I try to do as all the day. So lastly, what do you want people to get from the podcast? You know, what I want people to get from the podcast is not just despair. I want them to actually know hope is here. And now we have to mobilize and make sure we keep our communities hopeful. And in order to build on what we've been working on for the last you name the number of centuries we've been fighting is to make sure that we don't unintentionally shoot ourselves in the Achilles heel. And we've got to talk about it. Not everybody's going to take the vaccine, but that's why the concept of herd immunity exists. But each one has to be each other's brother's keeper. And the way we do that is not just think of self. I know the last few years, we really were forced to just go inward and protect self from the onslaught of, it was just coming from every angle and every direction. But we are resilient. But part of resiliency is also working with the science. Science did help us free ourselves from a lot of the bondage that was used against us. I know science was also used, pseudoscience was used to justify bondage at one point. But it was also real science that also brought freedom and helped us fight and it helped us prove that we are human and we're equal. We're not lower than, we're not different from, we're equal. And so now we have to use the same resources and our people who have went ahead and learned. And we didn't just go and learn the white man science. I want people to know that we are people who embrace everything. And we have been bringing what we know from our communities to engage the knowledge of the science of the world, because science doesn't have color. Actually real science doesn't have color. That's my message. Yeah. And like what Marcus Garvey said, he was like, I never get caught up in man. Don't get caught up in what man gives you. Get caught up in what God, get caught up in what mother nature yes. is, you know, telling you. And I, I think scientists, real scientists, they do that. Right. Because everything is based off observations, based All off right. the experiment, based off of what you think. And then mm-hmm. if the observation was wrong, you got to go back, but you got to trust in that process and that nature yes. is going to bring it out and you trust in it. Mm-hmm. You know? and, that, mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of science. But that's y'all's T-Simple Podcast. Folks are providing simple solutions, not only in the classroom, but everywhere. I love this. Thank you so much, Dr. Cindy, for dropping the gems. You have an amazing day. Thank you all. Peace.